Welcome to episode 42 of the Bright and Morning Star, Finding and Following Jesus in the Book of Revelation. Today's episode is called Gog and Magog. I'm Sam Bracken, your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who is helping us understand the book of Revelation through the lens of the temple. Now we are in chapter 20 of Revelation. We're at the end of the millennium. And in verse 7, we read, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Why, after a thousand years of peace, would the Lord free the devil to raise hell once again? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I like the way you said Gog and Magog. <laughs> yes, I said it very theatrically. Very Halloweenish. <laughs> ghoulish. Yeah, ghoulish, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, so you ask, after a thousand years of peace, why would the Lord let Satan loose again? That's not clear to nearly everybody who reads the book of Revelation. I'll, I've read a lot of commentaries, and they all say, essentially, why? <laughs> so... so um, but we get a hint from, from modern revelation. Doctrine and Covenants 29, 22. When the thousand years are ended, men again begin to deny their God. So this is not all of a sudden Satan appears in this beautiful planet where everybody is trying to be peaceful and happy. Rather, the people themselves begin, strangely enough, to deny their God. So this is... Unha unfortunate and unhappy, but wow. at the end of the millennium, things will not be so happy. Wow. Um, so maybe the people who are living at that time will actually bring it on themselves. Samuel the Lamanite says in Helaman chapter 14, verse 29, quote, if they are condemned, they bring upon themselves their own condemnation. It's not that God condemns people, they condemn themselves, right? So when they start denying God, they start giving power to Satan. It's a natural consequence. Now, modern prophets tell us that Satan has no power over us that we don't give him, right? Ourselves. So maybe that's why Satan gets turned loose. It doesn't say in Revelation, that God lets him loose. It's actually in the passive voice. It says, Satan shall be loosed. Uh, it doesn't say who's responsible for opening the prison that Satan is in. I personally believe the people let him loose. I personally believe we have the power to let him loose in our own lives whenever we want, and it's up to us. But why would the Lord permit it? Why would he allow Satan to go free? Well, obviously, Satan wouldn't go free if the Lord didn't allow it. So why would he? We know that people will be born and grow up in the millennium without sin. Doctrine and Covenants 45, 58 says so. Okay, so, well, maybe the Lord lets Satan loose in order to test those who have grown up in the millennium without sin. I don't know. Mm. Two LDS scholars, uh, Richard Draper and Michael Rhodes, and they're really, really wonderful commentary on Revelation. They, they've suggested that quote, this quote from them, Satan's work after the millennium will provide the resistance to build the spiritual muscles of those who are in God's kingdom on earth. The faith of the saints who are living at that time will be tried to the core, unquote. I think that's probably true. That's, that's a speculation, but it's probably true. That makes sense. But doesn't Jesus reign over the earth during that time? Doesn't Jesus control Satan? 
Yes, but nobody, nobody, not even God, controls the choices we make because of our agency. Mm -hmm. Joseph Smith said this, quote, Christ and the resurrected saints will reign over the earth, but there will be wicked men on the earth during the thousand years. The nations who will not come up to worship will be visited with the judgments of God and must eventually be destroyed from the earth, unquote. Now, that's in a sermon that Joseph gave in August of 1842. Now, John says the same thing in Revelation chapter 20, verse 8. Can you read that? Yeah, sure. Satan goes out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sands of the sea. So who are Gog and Magog? Say that again, would you? Yes. Who are Gog and Magog? Sound effect. Well, scholars have fought over that question forever. Um, let's start by asking what the words themselves, Gog and Magog, what those words might mean in the ancient languages. Uh, it's a very old expression. In Sumerian, Gog was simply the word for darkness. Okay. And the, you know, the Babylonians, they believed, uh, they believed in a mystical dark planet called Ugaga. 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 That sounds like a rock star's name, yeah. Ugaga. <laughs> and that was the, um, the word, their word for a raven. Oh, wow. A, a bird that was a bad omen, you know, like the, uh, like the scavenger birds in Revelation that feast on the dead in the last battle. So maybe Gog was an astrological symbol of death. Mm. Also, uh, this is kind of roundabout, but it's helpful. The traditional enemy of Israel was a nation called the Amalekites. They were considered to be particularly nasty people. They, they attacked the Israelites on their way to the Promised Land when they were you know, at their weakest. So they were considered to be particularly sneaky and nasty and they kept attacking them over and over again throughout the history of Israel. They were like Nephites versus Lamanites. They were long-standing rivals and enemies. Okay. Finally, the Israelite armies, during the time of the prophet Samuel, decided to wipe out the Amalekites once and for all, which they did. And king, the king of the Amalekites was named Agag. You might read it Agag. Agag, yeah. Agag. 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 But they would have pronounced it Agag. Mm -hmm. And um, Samuel himself, the prophet, executed Agag for his atrocities against the Israelites. Mm. Agag became kind of a symbol of the arch enemy of Israel. And the name Agag and the name Gog sound pretty much the same in Hebrew. So scholars think that's where the name Gog might have come from. Now, also, it's interesting that in the Latin Bible, Agag is Gog. Mm. So the, the name changes to Gog, and that's in um, Numbers 24-7. So the name for the king of the uh, Israel's archenemy is Gog. So we first meet Gog, the enemy of Israel, in Ezekiel chapter 38. Do you read verses 2 through 5? Sure. Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, 
Ogog, the chief prince Meshik and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws. And I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shields and helmet. Okay, so Gog is supposed to command a huge army, according to Ezekiel. Now we're in Ezekiel. John would have been the revelator. He would have been, you know, very well acquainted with the writings of Ezekiel. And so he's essentially repeating what Ezekiel says about Gog and Magog. So Gog is supposed to command a huge army from different parts of the world, right? Meshech, or Meshech, I don't know how to say it either. Meshech and Tubal were kingdoms in what is now Turkey, which is north of Israel, right? Mm. Persia, as you look at the map, is to the east, right? Ethiopia to the south, and Libya to the west. So that's important, okay? Mm -hmm. What Ezekiel is saying is that Gog, the armies of Gog will come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. We're talking about armies attacking Israel from all four directions, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. of the compass. So it's a multinational army symbolizing all the Antichrist forces, okay? The number of whom, as, as you read, is as the sand of the sea, and they will attack the forces of the Savior at the end of the world. And according to Numbers uh, 24, 7 and 17, the star of Jacob, who is Christ, the Messiah, shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. So the Messiah's kingdom shall be higher than Gog, and um, Christ will prevail in this battle. So Gog and Magog are not actual nations. Well, when I, when I was a kid, I heard people in the church say that Gog and Magog referred to Russia. <laughs> okay. Wow. And, you know, who knows, maybe. But Ezekiel clearly points to nations all around Israel as Gog and Magog. We, we don't really know what the original words of Ezekiel were because the... Old Testament that we have was translated from a text that is only about a thousand years old. It's called the Masoretic Text. But because of the Dead Sea Scrolls and other discoveries, we, we do have fragments of earlier texts. And the earliest texts speak of Gog from Magog, not Gog and Magog. Oh, so it's like darkness from oh, all over. Yes. Like uh -huh. So Gog and Magog would be like, Armies are of evil right, from all over, the, right. all directions. That makes so much sense. Yeah. yeah. So Magog, or Magog, as the Hebrews would have said it, must be the whole world, right? The world as a whole because it represents forces that attack from all sides of Jerusalem. So I don't think Gog and Magog can be identified with any single nation. I agree with Draper and Rhodes, who say that, quote, together Gog and Magog symbolize all the forces of evil that will combine against God and his people during the short season of Satan's liberation. And that's a, that's a quote. So what happens in the battle of Gog and Magog? Well, there's an astronomical angle to this. Uh, chapter 20 of Revelation, verse 9, 
says, quote, The army of Gog and Magog went up on the breadth of the earth, compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, which would be Jerusalem. Right? So what does that mean? A better translation says, quote, The army ascended along the latitudinal line of the earth. <laughs> now, what does that mean? Mm. Um, there's Professor Bruce Molina as an expert in this area. He says that John is referring to stars mm. getting into a battle position. So the war takes place both on earth and in heaven. And that brings us full circle back to the war in heaven. In the, you remember the primeval council right, right. in heaven. Mm -hmm. Now, Doc Covenants 88 says, quote, Michael, the seventh angel, um, remember that Revelation speaks of seven angels. Mm -hmm. right? Now, this seventh angel is Michael. Michael, the seventh angel, even the archangel, shall gather together his armies, even the hosts of heaven. And the devil shall gather together his armies, even the hosts of hell and shall come up to battle against Michael and his armies. That's uh, Doctrine and Covenants 88, uh, 111 through 113. So there is going to be this repeat repetition of the war in heaven. And that tells us that Gog is actually just another name for the devil. Uh, yeah. So they must know that this war is lost before they even start. What is Gog or Satan trying to do? What is his objective? There's a, an apocryphal book called Sibylline Oracles. There's an interesting phrase in it. It says, quote, The kings of the peoples will launch an attack together against this land, bringing doom upon themselves, for they will want to destroy the temple of the great God. So it all, it's all about the temple. Okay. Okay. What they aim to do is to blow up the temple and stop the temple work, right? Oh. Okay, so that's what they aim to do. Okay. They're trying to stop the work of redemption. They want to wreck the plan of God. So according to this legend, the, these evil angels, oh, this is really this is really fascinating. In the Sibylline Oracles, it says, these evil angels will try to learn the Savior's new name. Isn't that interesting? Wow. They will try to learn the Savior's new name so they can get power over him. This is all very intriguing and all very connected to the temple. So to sum up, Gog is Satan, and Magog is his army, or his dominion, his territory, his, his turf. They, that is to say, the followers of Gog, include the wicked, and they might include the wicked who, who rise in the, quote, resurrection of damnation and who face the second death, which we read about in Revelation 20. And according to the Joseph Smith translation, they are the people throughout all ages who still want to fight against the Lamb. So how does this war end? Well, of course, as you said before, in this very last war, the Antichrist forces have no chance. Because uh, according to DNC 88, 115, quote, Michael shall fight their battles and shall overcome him who seeketh the throne of him who sitteth upon the throne, even the Lamb. And Revelation 20, verses 10 and 11 say, Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. 
and the devil that deceived them was cast into a lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Close quote. Now, we, d we don't know if this fire is symbolic or literal. If this war is like the war in heaven, it's, uh, it's a dispute over the souls of men, right? Ending with eternal remorse for whom? For Satan's followers. And what does any of this have to do with us? Well, let's not join up with Gog from Magog. Right? Yeah, no interest in, <laughs> no. Not, not, no, I am not, not interested. interested in, yeah, yeah. And I guess that's a fairly simple choice. And remember, once this war is over, everyone is going to be judged in the great and last judgment. And that's our topic for next time. All right. Thank you.